Jobs in the Bedrock blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wusha Workshop. And today we're talking about two movies that I think could not be more different within the martial arts genre. We're talking about My Young Auntie, which is a film uh, that stars Kara Hoy, and she plays uh, a young woman uh, named Dainan who marries her, uh, her, her master. She's basically a servant in order to protect his assets against a scheming brother. And she's supposed to take them to Guangzhou, where uh, she's going to transfer them to his nephew. And there she develops a rivalry with the nephew's son, Charlie, and she dips her toes into Western culture. And it's kind of a um, golden age of Hollywood type film, except for when the scheming brother returns to steal the uh, the Yu family deed. Uh, and that forces Charlie and Dainan, who have had this rivalry, to uh, work together to get it back. And the other movie is Web of Death, and that's directed by Cho Yuan. And in this film, it's the clans of the martial world fight for possession of the five venom spider and a tale of intrigue, love, betrayal, and a martial world blinded by its own righteousness. Uh, it, it basically, the centerpiece of this movie is the five venom spider and just how spectacular it is, I would say. Um, you know, there's also, it, it also draws heavily on. Um, uh, Legend of Condor Heroes and Heaven Sword Dragon Saber. So you kind of, if you're familiar with those stories, you'll just see traces of the plot lines completely retooled for the purposes of telling a a story that feels more like a Gulong uh, story than a than a Louis Cha story. But it's a, it's a very interesting film, and uh, and so but and it's a little bit. Would you say it's Gonzo? Would you would you describe it as Gonzo, or does it not quite hit that? that level oh, it, it hits gonzo okay and um i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the rpg pundits uh pr- pretty excellent breakdown of what gonzo meant and that it has an internal consistency but within that consistency it does the most insane and fantastic things that it can uh, i i would like to point out with with these two movies to our listeners i greatly enjoyed and highly recommend both of them they're both on amazon prime they're worth your time just eat, too long don't read Let's watch these movies. They're amazing. Um, we, we should definitely start with uh, with Web of Death. Um, okay. So, but, but I, between... I want to tell you all my thoughts on it. It's so cool. Okay, you you talk. I just have to uh, I just have to adjust something that's to my left, so I will appear off camera. But just keep talking. I was gonna talk anyway. I was watching you anyway. So Web of Death is fantastic, guys. Uh, first of all, it's extremely colorful. Uh, the the set design and the costuming is fantastic. Remember Captain Fistomancer from last time? What if he had his own movie and everyone was dressed like him? It's it's really, like, it's visually just stunning. It looks really, really good. And it also has a lot of uh, really interesting camera angles and these wonderful uh, wide-angle lens shots of these beautifully designed sets with with all these traps and there's liquid elements. And it's, it's really... It, Oh man, it looks so good. And it, oh, sorry. Oh. Oh, so I was just gonna say that's 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 a Choi Yuen thing. Choi Yuen's hallmark is he makes really really good looking movies. In fact, this is actually a later Choi Yuen movie. And if you look at the earlier ones, there a lot of them are even better. Like he he because he he has a slightly different style in his earlier films. At some point, even, the name is a little bit. Uh, off-putting to some people but i think we should do a movie called intimate confessions of a chinese courtesan at some point because that's i, I know i know it's, it's it that sounds it sounds salacious it sounds very salacious but it's one of his most beautiful movies that he's ever made like like you you will know when you see in the first like 
you see that first scene and you realize, oh my God, this is why Choi Yuen's films look so amazing. And, and it, it's, it's probably the best example in my mind of, of, uh, of his ability to just make things on screen look good. But, but I'm sorry, go on. You were, you were talking about the sound. It's not even just the visuals. Like the sound design in this caught me off guard with just how, first of all, it's unusual. Uh, like for instance, every time that spider comes on, they get the spider in this little like kind of lantern looking thing. And every time they're near it, uh, it, there's this sort of like alarm sound. It's almost like a sci-fi sound effect that's really unnerving. Like you can tell something horrible is in that lantern, and there is. Oh my god, that spider! Um, uh, it's, it's uh, you know what? Actually, a lot of times uh, watching this, I was reminded of uh, Sinbad the Sailor and like Jason the Argonauts movies like that. Mm. Uh, it really had that kind of fantastic vibe to it. We have not a lot of uh, wuxia films that have that kind of. I mean, this had a magical spider in it, and not not, not just a little magical. This thing roared like a lion and brought the martial world to its knees with its superpowers. And it's interesting too because it's a 1976 film, and I mean, there are other martial arts movies like that in this period, but like, it's I tend to associate that sort of more fantastic Shaw Brothers uh, wuxia with the early 80s. Do you know what I mean? If it, this is a this is this is kind of early on for that style of uh, of of of. Uh, you know, I mean, the 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 spider is just it's it's beyond spectacular. You know, it it, it really takes like is. it's like the peacock weapon in uh in in Magic Blade times a thousand. Do you know what I mean? It's a uh, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a really cool concept. You have to use your imagination a little bit because of the way that they have the spider attacking people. Um, but I think it works. I think I think it works because that somehow makes it a little bit more horrifying. The uh, <laughs> There's a reality to it that, again, I wasn't really prepared for. There's a lot of this movie that caught me off guard in a good way. Because at one point, they do have, like, martial artists, full-grown adults fighting this thing. And it's, like, legit a tarantula that's on set. Yeah. And they even have it, like, rear up and everything. But they, like I said, they put, like, lion roar sound effects on it. And there's all this, like, beautiful, like, well, it's nasty, scary-looking webbing stuff that they use. And when people die because of it, like they they shrivel up in this horrifying way, and they like the they they put, they blacken their faces, like they're all necrotic. It's really just fantastic, and you combine that with the set design and the sound design, and just the really interesting. The, the, they make they make really good cuts during the fight scenes. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. It's wonderfully put together. Yeah, oh, I I agree. I, I think this is one of the this was this movie surprised me so much when I saw it because I, I just was not expecting a movie called Web of Death to do what this film did. Um, you know, I mean, I was expecting something dark, but I, I was I was blown away. Number one by that opening scene where you have the uh, the the five Venom clan in their headquarters and they mm-hmm. and they and they have that meeting room that they all take different tunnels to their respective seats. So it's oh, like the sub chiefs just kind of all. It was just so glorious and. But- Yes, and, and as soon as that scene started, I was like, "I'm in, I'm all in." Yeah, there's a glowing spider like altar in the middle of them, and it's this huge like antechamber. They come in like the final bosses of a video game. It's amazing. The one guy's got a, a, a what is it, a centipede made of iron that he fights with? Yeah, he's, it's like a shield that's like a centipede, but it's 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 like a. I don't know what you would call it because it it, it goes on his arm like a shield, but he kind of uses it like a weapon. So it's it's a it's it's a it's a really cool device, and uh, what I, what I also liked about this is is again the 
you know, there's acid pits and all kinds of traps and exploded, you know, and 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 like there's a there's a series of stones they have to walk across over like I think an acid pit or boiling water or something. And this I mean, this is where this is one of the movies I was thinking of when I was talking about Wuxia dungeons, you know, like this is like a this has and, and there's the tomb also the tomb that has all those traps. I mean, there 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 are more dungeons in this than you would see in a standard fantasy movie for sure. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like that that tomb is straight out of Gygax's nightmares. Because <laughs> it's like you open it up, and then uh, it, this all happens in the movie that they point out. This is like straight up an actual Gygaxian dungeon. A, a bunch of martial sects open it up to steal the magic spider, and they walk in, and a, a trap immediately, like this iron rate comes down and kills three of them. So yeah. They get past that, and the floor falls out and sprays them in acid. There's a bunch of skeletons there. And that's the point when the wise ones leave, and then the yeah. heroes come in, and they get through a bunch of other traps. It's wonderful. And, and there's a puzzle, too. There's, like, a little bit of a puzzle to the trap. It's, it's, yep. it's, it's really clever. Um, you know, and so... and. Uh, and also, I love the intrigue going on within the Venom Clan because the villain is played by Lolier, who I don't know if you've picked up on him yet, but he's he's sort of like a uh, Vincent Price is maybe the wrong person to compare him to, but he's one of these guys who plays like a he's like an Anthony Hopkins type or something. He plays really good villains, you know. He he's 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 he's, he's um he's just very very gifted in this respect, and the and his. And his bone structure in his face just really supports him as a you know as a villainous character. I remember watching him in a lot of his earlier roles where he's more heroic, and you almost tend not to notice him quite as much. But then when you see him in these villain roles, he's just got this 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 massive presence. And uh, and in this one, he plays um, uh, what is it, uh, Lu Shen, who's um, who's an interesting bad guy because he's kind of like a little kid. Do you know what I mean? He's very, he 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 he's the he's sort of like the number two sub chief it seems in this Venom clan, and and he and he's plotting to take control of the clan. And he wants to gain use of their spider, which their sect isn't supposed to use. Like there's a decree that they're not supposed to. They're only supposed to use it in emergencies. And the current clan chief is 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 sort of abiding by the the declarations of their ancestors, and so he has to overthrow him. And in order to do that, he needs to get the spider. And it's just a, it's just a really cool, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, setup for an internal struggle within a within a martial clan. It is really good. Also, there, there's two things I want to point out that struck me as as kind of things things that are unique to Wuxia. Like I don't see this a lot. First of all, the spider. There is no explanation for that spider. It's just a thing. It's like yeah, we have this. That's it. They're not like. Oh, 10,000 years ago, like, they don't tell us the origin of the spider. Yeah. They just have it. Moving on. That's that's very wuxia. I love that we, we don't get, like, they don't baby you as an audience. They're like, look, man, you know there's magical tyrant and stuff. Just deal with it. It's great. Well, I love well, well, and I will say, sometimes in the books there will be further explanation. Like, in um, in Return of Condor Heroes, they have these spiders that are, I think they're like rainbow snow spiders or something. And they, mm-hmm. they do explain where they come from and that they're yeah. from Tibet and they're this thing. Um, I don't know what this spider is inspired by, so I'm not sure exactly, uh, you know, what the source material it's drawn from. If there is source material, uh, what the uh, what the explanation might be. But but I'm sorry, go on. Well, again, I, I was kind of reminded of Jason and the Argonauts. I don't think they explain like the Colossus in Jason and the Argonauts. I think it's just there. They're like, oh, there's a Colossus on the sun. <laughs> what? Oh God. 
uh, it's kind of the same thing here. The second thing was, uh, you were talking about the, the head of the sect. I like that character a lot. It's another kind of uh, genuinely wushu thing where he's a, he's a guy that's a good father, and he seems like a kind-hearted person, but also he's a super powerful villain in charge of an evil martial arts sect that have a demon spider. So yes, yeah, so, character. yeah, so what he needs to be tough against um, the Hu Hua character, the uh, Fei Ying Shang, he, uh, he is. Do you know what I mean? He comes to visit him, and in the moment that uh, uh, Fei Ying is, uh, is, is, not, is not polite, you know, they, they, you know, combat breaks out. But he's basically kind of a good guy. Like, he's not, he, you, know, he, he's, you know, he's definitely much better than all the other members of the clan. Like, he's got that uh, wife that's plotting against him and sleeping with uh, Lu Shen. And, you know, he, and, and, and all of his sub-chiefs are plotting against him, I think. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, basically he and his daughter are the only two really, you know, nice people in the sect. And again, these are obviously based on characters from Heaven Sword Dragon Saber. Um, which is a somewhat similar type of situation where the the Wu Dang hero gets caught up in a in a romance with a character from one of the bad sex and and she, I think she, in the in Heaven Sword Dragon Saber she like it's quite similar she po- she accidentally poisons uh, one of his one of his sworn brothers or one of his brothers and then she has an escort company uh, send him to Wudang, but they, you know, there's, there are problems along the way and, and he ends up being crippled. And, uh, but the, in Heaven Sword Dragon Saber, the outcome is a lot more, well, I guess it's, it's, it's actually pretty tragic here too, but it's, it's different because they have a child and the child is the main character of the story. So, so what this movie does is it basically takes like the, the, the opening, like the beginning of Heaven Sword Dragon Saber and, before the main characters even uh like really uh an adult and and and, and kind of uses a lot of that material uh though again if you read heaven sword dragon saber it's not going to be anything like this movie it's, it's so uh but uh but i think that the uh yeah i i i i i really i really do like the uh the the the, the evil clan in this and i love the idea that uh that uh you know that that the uh, the the Wu Dang clan and all the righteous clans at the end they're so focused on 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 their own sense of righteousness that they completely miss the plot that's 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 being spun around them. You know what I mean? It's uh you know and and, th- and then they end up literally encased in this web of death and uh, and they have to rely on the daughter of the evil clan to help save them. Um, Doing the actual heroic thing. Yeah. Uh, because she is like, there's something about the way her and her father's blood works that can nullify the web's powers, but it kills them. Yeah. So spoilers. Well, they set everything up perfectly. There's a lot, like a lot of these stories. They'll lay down rules that, be, that 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 become important to the tale later on. So in this one, you know, it's oh my blood can nullify the spider, but if I get a wound to release the blood, my blood will not stop flowing, so I'll die. And and there's the other one where the 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 head of Wudang. Uh, says to the Yu Ha's character, you know, you know, you can do anything you want, but don't be a friend to a member of the of the of the Venom Clan, you know. And I think in the Prime version we watched, they were called the Spider Clan. Um, but uh, you know, so there there are some you know uh, differences in subtitles and overdubs and stuff. This is a movie you can watch it on Prime with the uh, with the dubs, and it's fine. I definitely think it benefits more from the from the subtitles with the original 
audio tracks if you can get it on Blu-ray, which I which again I recommend because the Blu-ray is gorgeous. Um, this would be a movie that looks great on Blu-ray. Like, oh, yeah. I, I'm a little sad that I didn't have an HD version. Um, <laughs> this looks good on Blu-ray. Intimate Confessions of uh, Chinese Courtesan also very good on Blu-ray. Um, Cho Yuan movies are ones like like I don't necessarily need to see uh, a Chang Che film in HD, but a Cho Yuan movie I would like to see in 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 Blu-ray if I can. You know, if if it's been pro- if it's been restored and everything. Um, so- rich you know like there's a lot to appreciate visually in this movie but really i i was entertained for every second of watching it it really is a great movie no it's 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 a it's 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 just a it's just like a fun sort of i don't know how to put it it's just it's just a fun adventurous dark film and it and it, and it gets it's into fun. horror hmm? it's fun in a fantastic way like i just I don't see a lot of movies like this anymore, you know? Like, again, that, that comparison to, like, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, I think, is the strongest one, where, like, there's this, this sense of almost mythical whimsy to it with all the yeah. crazy stuff that happens that, like, you just don't get that in a lot of modern films. You know, modern films take themselves so seriously. Everything's so serious and dour. And this one, it's like, no, nah, magic spider, acid pits, Go. And I think the other thing about this one is Choi Yuen sort of has a reputation for making confusing films because he has so many characters and they're all doing so many things. And this film, it's pretty simple. It's not that confusing compared to his other movies. It's fairly easy to follow. And another thing I liked about it, I really liked Ching Li as uh, Hong Su Su. Uh, oftentimes you see her playing more supporting roles. Uh, you know, like the the woman playing the Guzheng in the pavilion, or yeah, there'll be important characters, and she's even you know she does play uh, you know uh, top bill characters too. But this just seemed like I I felt like I really noticed her performance more in this movie than in a lot of other movies. Um, really good performance this time. Let me see. Um, really, the, there are a lot of good actors in this one. I think there was one actor I was like, oh, they weren't interesting. Really, all of them pretty much fitted to the hilt. Well, Lily Lee as the as the junior disciple that's in love with the Yuhua character was also really great, and um, I think uh, the you know like I said, uh, Lolier really stands out. We even got you you probably don't notice him, but Norman Chu appears in the film too, but he's a fairly minor role. And Gu Feng plays the um, I think the leader of Shaolin, and uh, and there's also there's an abbess I don't know who played her, but she was really impressive as well. Uh, the abbess who cuts off her arm with the fly whisk. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's it's just a, I mean, you know, it's it's just a really enjoyable film. Um, classic, classic wuxia style. Some of the most interesting characters show up in the last scene. <laughs> so, because this is when the whole martial world gathers. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting, colorful characters that come in, and they only get like like they're important to the plot. They're basically central to it, but they're only there for this little sliver of the movie that uh that's that's like recurring thing actually our second movie does that too <laughs> well and we should probably get it next we 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 are in a slightly more limited time frame today but yep. it's gonna be have... speed reviews today well, well we'll also get into the mechanics too after but uh <laughs> but my young auntie which is a 1981 film directed by la car lung and it stars kara hoi um and uh, it also stars uh, Zhao Ho as the Charlie character, and Johnny Wang plays the 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 villain. He's not like he's not a villain like the guy in the last movie, but he's he's the he's the scheming brother who's trying to steal the property in this one. And you get some appearances from Gordon Liu, and and Lau Karlung himself also has a pretty big role in the movie. Uh, 
So I don't know. First, I want to get what's your what, what did you think of this film? Because I got to say before we start on it, this movie is not a standard martial arts film. It's 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 really more of like a again, a golden age of Hollywood is the best way I can describe it. It's kind of a slice of life type film in a lot of ways. And man. It, it caught me off guard because it's got the same kind of like energy that something like like singing in the rain or one of those like sort of golden age of Hollywood musical kind of thing has. Uh, it's not a musical, but it is a martial arts movie. But like you're right, it's very not traditional. Um, there was a lot in this movie that was something I've never seen before in martial arts movies. Actually, I guess I've seen them in stuff like Rush Hour, where there's kind of an East meets West vibe. But it's it's I think it's 100% Chinese actors. And, like, it's got a lot of energy. It's really funny, which I wasn't prepared for. Like, there's a lot of uh, a lot of cultural stuff, uh, like Chinese cultural stuff, that meets, like, some modern Western cultural stuff. And it's really – they make a genuinely funny blend of those things, how they interact. Um, and it, isn't it interesting, too, that they don't seem to really pick sides in the – like, they like – they, it seems like he's kind of – there's sort of, like, like, a lot of the humor and a lot of the character – uh, drama revolves around this sort of conflict between her being more rural and traditional and the Charlie character being, you know, like more from Hong Kong or something and, and, and educated in a Western system and, 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 and importing all these fashionable Western ideas. And, and they, and, and, they, and that's where a lot of their clashes come from. Uh, but over the course of the movie, he maybe becomes a little bit more traditional and she becomes a little bit more, you know, uh, a little bit more fashionable. Yeah, and like, so which she becomes Susie, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can talk about that. That's a that's a that's a that's a whole other part of the film. Um, Susie, yeah. <laughs> but but it's I don't know. It's it's just like a real charming movie. It's it's, it's charming. It, yeah, you. you it, I laughed so much watching this movie, and that made it even more uh, like it hit me even more unexpectedly whenever they started fighting because the the fighting initially like in the first part of the movie is pretty decent. There's some really interesting like acrobatics, but as they wind up to the climax of the movie, it's some of the most Im- visually impressive fighting I've ever seen in a martial arts movie. Uh, yeah. It's like, a rival of any of the other ones that we've seen. So like it's got all these surprising elements. I was just I was basically on the edge of my seat the whole time I watched this. I, I unfortunately had to watch it in like uh, half an hour to forty five minute segments because of my mm-hmm. schedule. But I was like biting my teeth waiting to be able to be able to watch it again each time. Like it's really good. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, 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 th- I think it's a, it's an amazing movie. Um, this is one of my favorites to watch, and uh, also, uh, I, I believe she won an award for it. I believe she won a, uh, a Hong Kong Film Award for for her performance in this one. And, she's, uh, a, she's a fantastic actress, and she does a really good job in this movie. And physically, like the stuff she's able to pull off is mind blowing. Really good stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and everybody's really good. Like that's the thing. Like Lau Kar Lung is, uh, you know, obviously excellent. Um, but uh, but uh, but Zhao Ho is also, you know, very good. And, and Johnny Wang is his is his usual impressive self. He plays a slightly different character here. Interestingly enough, you get Gordon Liu, and I don't. I mean, he does some martial arts, but there, he's he's kind of here more for comedy. Uh, he was the one wearing the kind of he had a kind of a funny wig. It seemed on in uh, in the not a wig but a hairpiece of some kind that was uh, a little bit Elvis like or something. Um, he played James, remember James and Robert. But uh, but yeah, I I 
I, I think uh, one of the one of the fascinating things about her character in the movie is she's she's supposed to be very young. She's like Charlie's age, who's basically kind of like a college student, I think. But mm. but she's she's been elevated in the family because she married this the senior brother, and so she's the the like the auntie of 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 the Lau Karlung character, who's supposed to be like in his fifties or something. And yeah. and so so she's sort of a so she's adopting the mannerisms of like an elder and mm-hmm. and she does this it's just it's just she does a very convincing job of being someone who believes they're an elder in the family even though they really aren't and is behaving that way um and but then she occasionally has these dips back into sort of you know where you recognize oh she's you know she's just she's just sort of assuming this role but she really is like young like charlie and mm-hmm. And you know, and 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 occasionally it rises to the surface, um, but but I don't. Well, first off, what what did you think of the relationship between those two characters in general? Those two, like, oh man, that was one of those. Uh, this happens in very few media where it, they have something that is a really good and interesting premise, and it's well set up, and then you get to see basically every single way you could take that within the work. Yep. It's very rare that I see that, but that's that's what I think about that. It was like it's a really fun premise. You've got two very different people. Uh, like you said, one's more like they're about the same age, but like one's more traditional, one's more modern, and they're they're in this interesting position where one is technically like a much higher senior than the other because of this this loophole of of marriage and inheritance. So, and they they start out as rivals. And like even just the, the the meeting where they first get together, and they're like they're like fighting in the family shrine and all this destructive stuff. And like you could tell she's like, ah, I don't want to fight in here. And he's just like throwing the the headstones at <laughs> yeah. her. Everything about that was great, and it set up a great rivalry. And then as the movie movie goes on, they learn to respect one another, and they like they they work together for the good of the family, and they they both learn from each other, and it's. It's fan. It's fully realized, and everything about it is is fun and unique and and well presented. And then, furthermore, it's well acted, both physically and like emotionally, from the actors. So it's it's the centerpiece of this movie, and it really is a great centerpiece to a great movie. Yeah, I I I, I, I agree with that. I think that the um the what's interesting too is I think in a in a typical movie, the Charlie character would have been kind of like antagonistic through the whole film like he would have been the character who the audience is supposed to not like you know he's like the character of the family that you're supposed to have some resentment to and yeah, you, in order... you would think you would think it would be demonizing him because yeah. this is still a Chinese movie we're talking about and and you know looking at trendy western values corrupting traditional values that's that's a pretty easy target to to make the bad guy but he's not the bad guy the bad guy is someone who's actually being a bad person and trying to uh, steal part of the family inheritance that not that's not his and squander it. Yeah. So you get to see him as more of a balanced character, which makes him a little more mischievous and well, a lot more fun. And I think balance is a big part of what Lau Karlung does. He always does seem to have this nice balance of tone, this nice balance of sort of the like the male and the female, the yin and the yang, the uh, you know the ba- even a balanced perspective in a lot of ways. And and it, and and I think here. It it just all comes together like magically, uh, you know, because it's this kind of movie where you where you think back on it and you're like, well, what did I just see? Because I don't think I saw like 
I know I saw martial arts, but I don't feel like I just watched a kung fu movie. But the kung fu was like amazing. And but all I keep thinking about is like that ballroom scene for some reason. Like the ballroom scene is the scene that always stands out in my mind. And and it's it's just a so basically like like one of the like one of the big moments in the film is when he convinces her to go to this 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 uh, masquerade ball with him where his plan is to embarrass her because she's she's been bringing back the old the old family rules and the and the and the orthodox etiquette and he's very angry about this so he wants to embarrass her to get back at her and he knows that she can't do western style dancing cuz she does you know like that's sort of a big point in the movie where they you know she she's more accustomed to traditional music and dance and he's very familiar with these new new western styles of dance and so they want to embarrass her as somebody who's not as sophisticated as them but the bad guy exploits that uh, that masquerade ball to send his his henchmen in there to to mess with them and then eventually get them uh, put in jail on trumped up opium charges, all with the aim of getting the uh, uncle, uh, the Lau Kar Lung character, uh, out of the house so they can go in and steal the deed. And it's all it's all done very cleverly because you don't even you don't even notice the plot moving. You feel like it's not, and then before you realize it, the the plot has moved. Um, oh yeah, significantly. Like that, it takes even the audience by surprise. Very well made, very very well put together. And and what I what I like about it is, again, when I think of Lau Kar Lung, I think of, he does a lot of really good work around, like just having things happen at like locations for an extended period of time. And I think a lot of movies when they do that, they have a hard time advancing the plot because a lot of times plot is kind of tied not just to to the drama between the characters, but physical movement and shifting between scenes and he manages to just kind of do it seamlessly there it, it's uh it, where where you, it, it and and it leads to all these funny moments like you know the, the ballroom scene is amazingly funny and the and the scene with the two uh the two police officers the tall guy and the, and the short guy and and it's kind of like classics it's it's like a classic visual gag where this tall guy comes forward and says he's like the boss and then the camera pans down and there's this shorter guy who says no 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 i'm the boss and it's just funny and you don't you don't need to you don't need to understand the original language to find the, to see the humor in it instantly i in the, the humor translates really well to Western audience because, like, like I was saying, I was laughing the whole time. Like, for example, uh, it's a, it's a masquerade and it's like kind of a costume party, and um, <clears throat> he is dressed up as Robin Hood, complete with his tiny, tiny knife. Which, when the fighting breaks out, all the bad guys using swords, he insists on yeah. using his stupid little knife because it's authentic to the costume. <laughs> and she just completely eschews the whole thing right away and gets a, a Chinese straight sword out with the Jian. And whoops some serious behind with it in another amazing fight scene, which, again, sort of comes out of nowhere. You're, you're in the middle of watching this comedic scene of her blundering through a ballroom, and then all of a sudden, it's one of the most impressive sword fights you've ever seen. It's yeah, incredible it's, balance. It's, it was, that is a really great sword scene. And I, and I like the scene, too, when, they, when, they, when the two of them team up and decide to sneak out of the house to, to go <laughs> to the uncles. And they both dress up as heroes, but heroes of very different types. She basically dresses up as a wuxia hero, and he dresses, mm. dresses up as, like, a war hero. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, he's got it, the helmet and everything. Yeah, yeah, he's got like a helmet. And, and the helmet becomes important because if he didn't have that helmet on, he would have been speared in the head by the trap. Then they go to the <laughs> uncle's house and it's trapped up the wazoo. There's like traps everywhere. And 
and I mean lethal, lethal traps. Like there's spear traps, there's bear traps, there's there's like spiked things that sort of fling out of the ground and impale you. There's a there's a there's a straw dummy that has all these swords that come out of it. This guy means business. Um, and uh, and so they go there, they fight. She gets uh, trapped there basically, and he has to go get the other uncles. The other uncles who are all old, like part of the comedy is all of the uncles are. They're, they they obviously were good at kung fu, but they're too old now, and they have like heart problems and stuff. So it's it, it's like hard for them to 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 go and storm the 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 scheming uncle's estate, and the, and the scheming uncle, his whole situation is he doesn't have any descendants, he doesn't have any children, so he has like a godson that he's adopted who he wants to transfer all of his wealth to, and and he's an interesting character. Number one, it's, it's Johnny Wang. Who's, who's really good at playing these tough bad guys that you believe can kick the crap out of the hero and, uh, and who looks like they don't give a damn. Um, but he... This came up in the previous podcast and I didn't, I didn't pick up on this, but I know somebody else brought it up and I think I even dismissed the thought when it first came up. But I think he might... I think he is supposed to be gay, that character. I'm not sure. But they, I, they insult him and say that at one point. It seems to get under his skin. So that's kind of the vibe I got, too, where it was like, you know, there's probably a, a little bit more going on with this guy than we see on scene. Well, uh, well also, yeah. because when the godson is imperiled, when he's, like, threatening the groin of the god, like, obviously mm-hmm. he might be concerned about his descendants because that godson is the person who's going to carry on the uh, the family line, I suppose. But, mm-hmm. but he also maybe was concerned because that's not... Actually, maybe it's not really his godson. Do you know what I mean? Maybe yeah, there's, there's some some sinister depth to that relationship. And yeah, maybe. Uh, if so, it's a uh, it's pretty subtle. Like no, it is that one insult and that one scene, and even in that scene where his genitals are being threatened, they specifically call out the whole lineage and eunuch thing. Yeah. So so I mean, like that that's. If that's misdirection, that's impressive misdirection. Well, and like I said, I I, I, th- I believe I sort of didn't buy the argument when when somebody first said it on on the podcast. But but watching it this time, I was kind of like, I think that is supposed to be the case. Something something about the character, it just seemed like it was like maybe that's what they were going for. Um, and also, I don't think that we ever see him like with a wife or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? No, he there's no romantic like. Nothing like that with uh, with any kind of female character. He is surrounded by a lot of gorgeous shirtless men, though. Yeah, so. yeah. He's got the guy who who's got like the he's got like a jacket that's open in the front, and he's got like he's like really like got you know like very well developed muscles. And his whole thing is he's got like the like the iron shirt or whatever. You know, like you can't like when you stab him, it doesn't penetrate his skin. Um, and 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 so it it kind of it seems kind of fitting. Also, I think like the. Uh, the fact that this guy, like, I suppose he could just be, you know, like maybe he he can't have children of his own for some reason. Maybe there's something physically going on there. But he seems like the kind of guy who would at least have tried. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And he'd at least have like a a, a wife around. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he seems like like he gets all the things that he wants in the world. So I I, I believe there are maybe enough details for us to draw that conclusion with the character. Um, but what I like about the overall conflict is it's not a particularly bloody affair. It's, 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 uh, I don't even know if anybody dies in this movie. Like it's, it's pretty, even the main villain, when he gets his ass kicked, doesn't die. He just loses. Yeah. And he's, and he kind of comes around like, like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he isn't resounding, but you see him nodding his head when she says you did wrong. 
Do you know what I mean? So it's kind yeah, of like I, a. I did you wrong. Huh? <laughs> he is. It he is. He's like, yeah, I did do wrong. <laughs> Just kind of accepts it. So, so, so it kind of has this nice closure to it, and it's. I don't know. It's like it's not that you know. Obviously, I love movies where people are getting cut in half and all this stuff, but <laughs> but it's also nice that like that Lau Karlung is capable of making you know, these great movies like this that don't always have those things. Do you know what I mean? You know, he can, he can make a really good movie where, you know, this is something that you could probably show like, you know, eight year olds and that wouldn't, I don't think there was anything in here that would, would be too upsetting for them. No, it's, this is like, it's, I don't even know if it's PG. Like it really is that like low key. There's really not any violence. All the violence is pretty slapstick. Uh, No one gets seriously injured or mutilated or killed. There's not any, I mean, there's no nudity. There's not even any strong, overtly romantic things that happen in it at all. So, like, yeah, I could probably show this to my kids, and they just enjoy the the silliness. In fact, yeah, I would say that I think the reason I like this movie is it reminds me a lot of the kinds of films I watched as a kid. Because when I was a kid, you know, I, I was born in 76, so a lot of the movies I watched as a kid were the things that my parents were familiar with from that golden age of Hollywood period. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that was, uh, you know, that was the stuff that they would tend to show us. So... I, uh, so it just had that kind of warmth and charm, and even though, like you said, it's not a musical, but there's a musical quality to a lot of this movie. There really there, is, yeah. And and there is one scene where Charlie pretends to sing while Gordon Liu and his and 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 Robert <laughs> are, uh, are are playing in the background. Um, but but there are there even without it being a musical, there's a lot of you know dance numbers and you know there is music throughout the film. And it just has that vibe. And there's the whole scene in the city when she goes and buys the dress. You know, it's just kind of like yeah. a like a Marilyn Monroe moment or something. You know, it's just a it, yes. It was it was a moment that could have been that could have had uh, Mickey Rooney walk on stage as the bumbling Western salesman, yeah. and it would have been 100 percent believable. Yeah, you know, you're talking about golden age of Hollywood stuff. Yeah, that was a very golden age scene. Well, and what I liked about the setup of that is, is she's trying to fight, and she she's not used. To, it's number one, it's like a more fashionable style of dress that she's not accustomed to, and she's never worn heels before, and so <laughs> she's trying to fight in this dress and in heels, and it's creating all these hindrances to her. You know, we already know that she what she's capable of because they've shown us they've shown her fighting prior to the mm-hmm. scene, and and so to see her have to struggle within the constraints that this dress is imposing is interesting in terms of the fight choreography. Um, and it's just kind of a, I don't know. Just got, you, they, they just have these cool moments. Like there's one moment where she finally kicks off the heels and she punches a guy and she like puts the glove on in like a really stylish way. Do you know what I mean? It just, it just got like a lot of a, a lot of energy and 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 just kind of like coolness to it that that oh, works. Yeah. yeah the the two things I would use to describe the main characters in this movie are energy and style. They both have oodles of both. Yeah. Yeah, because you see Charlie is jumping around everywhere. Like, like when he and his friends come to the house, they're like throwing, I forget, they're throwing balls at each other, and they're or no, they're throwing suitcases, right? They have suitcases that they're throwing, and they're like scrambling around and flipping, and it it, it, it again, it feels very much like one of these old musical films where the characters are are doing these things that a person wouldn't really do in real life, but it's so full of energy that it just pulls you in, and it gives you a sense of what the characters are supposed to all be about. Yeah, man. Oh, they, those guys are firecrackers. As soon as they came in, it was like the movie got set on fire. Just the they're fluid and they're they're energetic yeah. and they're athletic and they're acrobatic and it's like watching a circus performance. It really is just fantastic. And they're just a bunch of kids 
like back home from school just screwing around. And it's it's again, what an amazing combination of elements. So it's one of those scenes where if you weren't into it before, and the movie is a little slow before that, but if you weren't into it before, that's one of those scenes that'll really get its hooks into you really quick. Because remember, that's the same one that immediately goes into them starting that fight and the family trying, and just all the property damage, which is again a visually impressive fight that I was totally unprepared for. And and then there's the whole scene where where she gets the family rule book and is like the punishment for all the things that you did is you have to be beaten with this rod like 48 times and and you can tell the father's been super lenient on him and has never done any of these things to him and so he this puts these books all dusty and old yeah and he puts the books uh in his pants to block the uh to block the impact but the the look of delight on her face when she's punishing him as she's counting the blows is priceless um, oh, but there's as soon also... as I whipped out the family rule book I thought about you and our the family rules discussion that you had the other day and yeah. I was like oh man I, yeah because this is another I, example yeah. of that it's a great example and it was really fun it was also a really good uh, uh, culture versus culture thing right? Like you had the more lenient style of western punishment versus the more hidebound traditional style it's literally written in the family rule book it's great and and there's also it's also interesting because there's kind of like a light love story between her and Charlie in this, but it doesn't really. It's not it's like not it necessarily cool. goes anywhere. Do you know what I mean? You just get these odd moments where they occasionally touch hands and look at each other, or the scene at the end, which you know we don't know where that's going. Um, you know, <laughs> that scene came out of left field. Like most of the scenes in this movie, I was completely unprepared for it. I was. I wasn't unhappy. I was just unprepared. So yeah. So let's. So we'll talk about the last scene because in the in the final moments of the film, they defeat the bad guy, and she basically says, "Well, my work here is done, so I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be your auntie anymore. I'm gonna leave." Uh, and and uh, and so then the next scene, and, and I think he gets slapped. He says something to her, and the father slaps him. And then yep. and then they. And it's a really good cut. Like he gets slapped, and then we see him in the streets nursing his jaw, screaming with like a big. <laughs> packet of bandages around his mouth and he's telling his friends the story of everything that happened and as they're walking down the street they see this this blonde woman and they're and they're 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 they're, they're struck by her beauty and they and they go over and it turns out it's either her or somebody who looks exactly like her and he and he says hey aren't you my auntie and she's dressed in like this new style dress and she's got a blonde wig on and and in fact i think it's the wig that she was wearing when she was delina at the masquerade ball and and he says, "Hey, aren't you my auntie?" And she says, "No, my name is Susie." And so so either this is an unrelated woman who just looks like him, her for some reason, uh, or it's her and she's adopted an uh, an English name and is is, is 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 sort of you know started this maybe this new life where she's more open to 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 Western style customs and and but I don't know I, I what was your what was your, how, how was your interpretation of that scene? I, I interpret it that way. I, I feel like this is like her reward for a movie filled with difficulties and struggles and mm. humiliation. Uh, also, I would like to point out she she does say that in English, in spoken English, which is blows everybody away. So like she speaks English. Uh, there's a lot of uh, English uh, put into the dialogue in a way that I, I know it's going to sound weird to say it's like it's Japanesey. But it is Japanesey because that's that's a cool guy thing to do in Japan is to sprinkle in some English in your dialogue. But it always has this really thick Japanese accent. In this case, it's a thick Chinese accent. 
but I always interpret that as, man, that guy is so cool, sounds so dorky. Well, you so, see that you see that in a lot of Hong Kong movies when you when you watch them, and this kind of is in that spirit, I think. But I, I thought they did very good use of the, the moments that they chose to do English were carefully selected. It was it, they were, um, it, and remember that almost no one else in the movie speaks it but him. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a code language to almost everyone else. So like, what do you say? Well, and it, and it creates all these interesting situations because there's that scene where. Where he's talking to her and he's occasionally peppering his 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 uh, his his speech with with English and he's talking to his friends as well and he's kind of making fun of her and mm-hmm. and as a as a person who you know because we understand English we don't it doesn't automatically register in my mind oh she doesn't understand what he's saying because I just yeah, understand what he said but the movie does a good job of reminding you which which parts of what he said she doesn't understand mm-hmm. and because she mentions it which again is great. So if you if you are a native English speaker or if you are like maybe a Hong Kong viewer and that's a little more natural for you to listen to and you're not used to that being something that's untranslatable to someone who doesn't speak English, the movie reminds you of that. It's great. And it's and I think there's it's also interesting too because because it, it it's there's I can't remember the exact pun and I don't know the language so I don't know how the pun was constructed but he basically says his name is Charlie Yu and mm-hmm. and she interprets that to mean that he's a stinking carp, I think because there's some sort of linguistic pun going on when you place the surname in the right... Because because I think she says, you Charlie or something. Like, it's, it's some something about the positioning of the surname is, is, I think, what leads to the pun. I can't remember. And I think Kenny might have explained it to me. But... Uh, that was a pretty but, obvious pun. I mean, like... Because, again, uh, English-style names is uh, surname first and family name after. And it's the exact opposite in, in China. Uh, and... Charlie and you all are uh, phonemes in Chinese. Uh, so, like, it's just that he, he basically jumbled them up so that his name translated to stinking carp, which is funny. And so, it's so yeah, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure if that was the pun or not, but I know there was a pun there like that. And and <sighs> what I appreciated about how the movie handled it is when, you, when I first saw it as a viewer, even though I didn't understand the language, obviously, I understood that there was a pun like that taking place. And I understood what the principles were that I was supposed to be, you know, catching that led to the to led to the misunderstanding. Um, so I feel like the movie does a very good job for Western viewers of who who maybe don't speak the language uh, of just kind of giving you a sense of, of of where you know of explaining the humor very quickly. I guess is how. I'd yeah, it, that's actually a really impressive little element too. Because you can draw a direct line of parallel between that and, like, say, Rush Hour, uh, which is the same exact kind of humor, uh, which I don't it, – it's – that's a that's an American movie. And so when when they do the humor, it I don't see, feel like they need to feel the need to explain it. And so, I don't know, I, I felt um, – it didn't feel as funny. It didn't have as strong of an impact in Rush Hour for me. But in this one, like, I was laughing at it because – they do manage to not only introduce the joke and and have the joke land, but then to immediately kind of explain it in this really quick way. So no matter which side of the cultural barrier you're on or whether or not you are, you get that, oh, okay, that's what happened. Okay. Really impressive stuff. Well constructed. That was Chris Tucker in Rush Hour, right? That was Yes. Chris yeah, I think he and, he and Jackie Chan, though, had really good chemistry in those movies. I do remember the I do remember those films. They, I, they were popular when I was uh, taking Taekwondo, and I remember being you know, the, it was like prime Jackie Chan viewing time period for me. Um, but 
but yeah, I think uh, I, I, it, it just does a great job of explaining the humor and and everything. I, I just never felt. Sometimes you'll watch these movies and and there'll be things that you need explained to you. Do you know what I mean? You're like you'll have to go searching for an answer. You'll be like, I did not understand what just happened there. I need to go look stuff up. And here, I never had that that impulse. I always felt like I was. I, I either understood it or I was so on the cusp of understanding it that I was satisfied. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's the vibe I got, which makes me wonder what I didn't understand because there might have been something that was like a pure Chinese language or Chinese culture thing that totally went over my head. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there were things that we that we, w- we would have missed. Um, but yeah, so again, you know, I, I, obviously we, we've gone on about this movie for some length, so we both like it. And and again, these the, both these films I believe are available on Amazon Prime if you want to watch them. Um, I, I do recommend picking them up too, especially my young auntie. I, I I think that's one that's definitely worth having in your DVD. Or I don't know if it's available yeah. on Blu-ray, but I have it on DVD, and and it's it's a nice one to have because the blue the the DVD number one you can get the uh, 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 the commentary track, which has a lot of good information in it. Um, there's a there's a rickshaw scene in there, and they mention how Karahoy had appendix surgery just before performing that scene. And it makes the scene that much more impressive when, you know, again, it's it, like you said, it's not it's not the most physical of all the kung fu in the film, but still, for somebody who just had appendix surgery, it's a pretty impressive uh, performance. Um, so I don't know. In terms of gaming, how would you make use of this content between both the movies? Uh, well, the the most obvious contents that came to my mind, uh, there, there were two that came up. Um, with a web of death, which is the dungeons. Uh, remember, I watched that movie, but la- last week I got my hands on a copy of Wandering Harris Vogergate, and the week before that I got my co- my hands on a copy of The House Paper Shadows, and the week before that I got my hands on the copy of, of Maze of Blue Medusa, which is back in print. So I am spoiled with kung fu and dungeons lately. Mm. So um, watching the scene where they're going into the tomb, I was just like, oh man, I can't wait for this week's DT session. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna put so much of the stuff in there. You you could um, take that tomb and just plop it right into a D and D game as it was presented change. without change. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, I, again, I can't emphasize. And, and and again, I don't. I know I harp on this a lot, but the reason why is because I uh, so often I just always encounter this notion that you're not supposed to. The dungeons are just not supposed to be part of Wusha for some reason, and I get why because like or well, something that no way. <laughs> well, no, I mean I understand why because a lot of Wusha does focus more on the character drama and all these other mm. things that are going on. There are other elements that are maybe more that, that will get higher priority for certain. But when but I used to read a lot of fantasy books, and fantasy books they don't have that many dungeons. Do you know what I mean? Like not like D and D does. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, no, there are really. there's enough. That you can see where the dungeon concepts come from. Do you know what I mean? And well, there are enough, and there are a few that are extremely important. Uh, in my mind, the uh, the giant temple city from Red Nails, uh, the, it's a Conan book. Mm-hmm. That one is extremely iconic, and so so are the Mines of Moria. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would. Well, the Rings is a seminal one. It's kind of like the archetypical dungeon. And I, I would just say, just because you brought Conan up, you cannot find like a if you are running an, an old style fantasy game, especially one that's got more of a Conan vibe. Like I was running something that was much more Mediterranean at one point. Mm-hmm. Conan is the best for for getting <laughs> ideas. Like those stories, you cannot read us. Like you read a Conan story, you're going to have an adventure pop into your head right away do you know what i mean oh. like I, I i i that that just happened to me every time i ever read conan um and, and you're right there, there were you know I, I think 
there were the, there, I can think of a lot of iconic moments from Conan where you have dungeons. But again, the, my point is the dungeons in Conan, they're not these complex Gygaxian-type dungeons. Do you know what I mean? Gygaxian dungeons are things that are kind of unique to D&D for the most part, except for a handful of cases like you were pointing to. Um, but, I mean, most of the dungeons are, like, very limited. You know, he goes into a chamber and there's a giant snake in there or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are extremely simple. Like the the one you're talking about is literally a tower with a snake in it. Yeah, you and, know and, it's not complex. No, and 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 the and the wuxia dungeons in the in the wuxia movies are the same sort of thing. They're 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 they're, they're functional within the setting that's been established, but they're still dungeony in that respect. So it might only be you know two to five rooms in some cases, but it's still a fairly you know as dungeons go in 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 media, that's that's pretty extensive. Um, oh yeah, yeah dun- the the guy Gaxian dungeon does not get a lot of media attention. Yeah, it, it's something that we as gamers are very familiar with, and I I personally love dungeons. I, I'll do a dungeon every bloody session if I have to. The the, the mega dungeon is a very uh, classic kind of way of running games. So, but in media, you're usually not in the dungeon very long. It's, no. you, they don't make things about dungeons very commonly. No, and, and, what, and so what I would say is I feel like the ratio of dungeon to other content is roughly the same in a lot of wuxia as it is in, you know, fantasy. I, I mean, I, I haven't quantified it, so I could be wrong. And it might, it might vary depending on whether you're talking visual medium versus, you know, the wuxia literature, for example. Um, but it's, it's, it's present. So, you know, I think... And, and Web of Death is just a very good example of... of you, you have two very obvious dungeons that you could design, mm. you know, uh, you know, and, and, and with a little work, you could make both of them Gygaxian as hell. Um, but, but one of them, one of them would at least serve as a dungeon for even the, the least Gygaxian of dungeon campaign. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, 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 I guess I, you know what I would, I would, I would compare it to. Uh, some of the Harn dungeons tend to be a little bit more limited in scope. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they're, they're, they they used to be very good at presenting kind of like a a believable tomb that had some challenges to it. Do you know what I mean? Or like a a believable location that 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 had a few interesting areas and was very interactive. And that's kind of what this site was. It's that kind of a dungeon. So you could port it directly as that, or you could just really riff on it and and add. 80 rooms and, and make it and make it this amazing super dungeon or mega dungeon um so what was oh, that i said also good but 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 the other cool thing about it is just the 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 kinds of traps they have in movies like this are always very gameable i find you know i true and they're gameable in a way that you can do more easily in game form than you could ever do in movie form like uh the what of the heroes goes through this dungeon alone dodging the traps and yeah. he just gets he just a spider but how much better would it have been if he was fighting through those traps with some rivals yeah. it's a lot easier to pull that off in a game where you have to worry about things like a special effects budget and, and injuring actors you can do that and your imagination has an unlimited special effects budget so you can really like ring out some of the interesting scenarios you could do in this dungeon a lot more thoroughly in a game than you can in a movie. Now, do you? Uh, we are at a little pressed for time at this point. So, do you have any other gameable thoughts? Uh, okay, there, there, there. I'm going to go with one more. Then I, mean, I had two more, but I'm going to go with one more because the, the the other one was kind of weak. It was the whole family hierarchy thing. 
uh, from my young auntie, which is gameable, uh, but I don't think it, there's a huge amount of word count needs to get dedicated to that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the WMD of the martial world, that spider, and mm-hmm. uh, introducing something that is kind of the equivalent of a nuclear deterrent in a game. Uh, I put a lot of thought into that because the my game, uh, Tian Chang, is going to have characters that are able to blow up planets, but you don't have to go quite that far to have a character that's significantly more powerful than others or has an advantage that is powerful enough to, like, wipe out cities or civilizations. And, like, how do you game around that whenever you have, like, the the, the WMD of the of the Wulin? So that was the other thing that struck me about that spider, because, like, the whole, uh... The, the entirety of the plot revolved around we can't let the bad guys hit the spider yeah. then they got the spider you know uh, and you, you can you can do that stuff in a game and uh, what I found in designing for the really ridiculously powerful characters is it it winds up in the exact same sort of stalemate position yep. that uh, that nuclear arms do is like okay if they have the spider that can destroy the martial world well I have a cursed sword that can destroy the martial world and that's where it stays. We can't escalate beyond a certain point or else the world blows up. Uh, so that's that's one of the things I found that you can make a stable setting in the uh, in the wake of what is effectively nuclear weapons. You can you Only- can also embrace the unstable setting side of yep. it. You can, you know, I mean, like like my inclination is if I if I like I have introduced weapons like this in my games before and often players will try to seek them out. But this is the kind of scenario where I would have a lot of different people looking for this weapon. And whoever ends up with it in the end would obviously be in a very good position to control the martial world and establish kind of a new order under their authority, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. That might be interesting if the players lose. Do you know what I mean? Uh, That creates a whole... Not that they have to lose. Not that that should be the only outcome that you're thinking about. You should be okay with any of the outcomes of that. Maybe the thing is thrown a volcano. Maybe the players win and they get to set the rules. Maybe they lose. Also good. And I think I think I think that would you know it's, it's a lot of fun when 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 things get shaken up like that. Um, you know it's a you know I guess I guess at one point my players did find the ultimate weapon, which was a time traveling chariot that they that they began to abuse considerably. Um, <laughs> but what they discovered was every time they traveled through time, I kind of did like a. Uh, a torchwood thing where where they were creating more and more cracks in the fabric of time itself, and so all these people from the future and the past started pouring in to the uh, to the time that they lived in. I know this is very far afield from typical wuxia, but but it was but this was a wuxia campaign, and uh, and eventually this guy from like the far future came in through with a mech suit, and uh, and he was all arrogant and like you know like when when he when he, he was like blasting them away with his cannon. And and uh, and he and and when they eventually started talking to him, he was just a jerk. He was, uh, uh, you know, he would say things like, uh, "Oh, sure, you guys love, but not like we do in my time." You know, like he he viewed everybody that lived in this time period as like these primitive, half evolved people, and and it drove the players nuts. Um, but but that's this is that's a tangent. Um, I mean, like I, I'm gonna draw a line of comparison to it, uh, the WMDs that showed up in my games. At one point, the uh, players did something extremely heroic and were rewarded with dragon eggs. And to to allow them to uh, to get the most out of their dragons, I was like, okay, here's how it works. If you get them a horde, just like in My Little Pony, they'll grow bigger. Mm-hmm. So the bigger their their gold horde is, the bigger the dragon is. Just like a just like character. 
Well, I didn't anticipate them double dipping and bringing a bunch of gold back, getting higher level themselves, and then pouring it every dime into getting their dragons huge. So at one point we had three adult dragons <laughs> flying around with high level characters on them, and that was basically the end of that setting. Um, well, I mean, you know, you, you, that's when your campaign becomes a political campaign. Do you know what I mean that's when that's when your players become kings? You should read my. Uh, well, I'll talk about it after the podcast. I don't think it necessarily needs to be brought up here, but I, I have some. Oh, plug it. No, I, I have some stuff I wrote about just that, and I'll I'll, I'll point you in that direction. Um, but but I think I think again, letting that top pop off like that is okay if you just think about well, where is that actually going to take me, and <laughs> and you and you accept it. And and, and, and and are willing to work with it. So if the players take over the world, that could be a perfectly fine starting point for a new series of adventures that involve sure. all of the headaches and challenges of managing the world that you've just taken over. And but remember, because not every problem can be solved with generous application of dragon. No, <laughs> no. In fact, you know, that's when you start thinking, like, again, it's in my mind because we're, me and Adam are talking about it, but that's when you start, start thinking in terms of I, Claudius. Like, Augustus has just taken over the Roman world, and now he's got all these headaches stemming from his wife poisoning people and trying to, and trying to manipulate, you know, who's going to be his heir and all these things. You know, you, you could do all kinds of fun and interesting things uh, once the characters have taken power. And that, in fact, that sort of does bring us to square one of Web of Death. That's that's sort of the position that the leader of the Venom sect is in. Yeah. You know, you're right because he's on top of the world, yeah. and it's not a great fit for him. No, because he has he he if he wanted to, he could pull that weapon out. He knows where it is. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? He he could he could pull it out and kill everybody in the room. Um, and and so, but 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 that's what he's dealing with is all the intrigue that's going on around him as a sect leader. He's not going off on you know, standard adventures anymore. Um, you know, his daughter maybe, but not him. Uh, so, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's sort of a, um, you know, you can still have that. Um, and, 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 and in fact, I've, I've run campaigns where the characters have been the leaders of sex and they've, and much of the sessions, you know, are them in the pa palace halls of their sect sort of, you know, receiving people, and every once in a while, somebody comes and tries to assassinate you or, you know, but there's and every once in a while, they would leave the sect headquarters to go off on important missions. But otherwise, they would send people. Do you know what I mean? So it, it becomes a different kind of game, but it can still play out. Um, You're kind of playing Dune at that point. Nothing wrong with Dune. But yeah, Dune's Dune's incredible. Um, so, yeah, so I think we've kind of but I do want to hear about the point about um, the family hierarchy, if you. <laughs> Just so we can bring my young auntie into the mix. Okay, okay. Because it, it was really cool. And uh, the, the idea of being able to uh, kind of just step into a hierarchy and uh, have a like have a like not only like a title, but almost like a rank. Yeah. I like that quite a bit because you can, you can translate that into a lot of different things. It can be in the, in the sense of like a, a really uh, traditional sort of family roles. Like in, in Chinese uh, family structures – are really regimented and hierarchical. Like they're, they're, they have a lot, uh, a lot more structure than their equivalent Western family uh, structures. I think in most cases, and that might not be true for like I guess maybe England where they, there's some pretty high hierarchy to stuff. But like in China, if you compare that to like say my family, oh man, totally different way of doing things. So uh, being able to be in that like elder auntie position is something that. Uh, the character can leverage towards yeah. uh, towards advantage. You can make people do stuff. 
she can influence them. Um, and you could do that, uh, like, to say you, you have a, a war going on, you could do that with the characters. Just, like, have them, as a reward for something they do for some Baron, it's like, oh, okay, you guys are all knights now, you have this rank. And suddenly, not only do they have a lot of power to do something they couldn't do before, but they're immediately kind of enmeshed in whatever's going on with this war, and they have a side, because some one of the sides gave them all these rewards and all this power. But then on top of that, there's, there's the other unseen thing, which is you have a lot of responsibilities because of your newfound, uh, newfound uh, place in the hierarchy. Like, the whole auntie character, the whole movie is about her resolving this one giant responsibility that was foisted on her. Yeah, no, I... Do well, that to characters. <laughs> it's also useful, too, just because I think just sort of having uh, a sense of the sort of dynamic that can exist within a family structure like that is useful in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a... Even though... I, and again, we know this isn't really like a wuxia movie, but it's useful in a, It's useful information to bring into a wuxia campaign. Um, oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's so. important stuff, especially for a wuxia campaign. Like, specifically wuxia you really do need to have families with pretty strict rules in them, I feel like, and, like, pretty well-defined places in a hierarchy. That uh, that really benefits, uh, because, like, even in absence of anything really super interesting happen, there will be drama that's generated just from that structure. It's almost custom-made to make people, like, emotionally uncomfortable and want more and try to kind of rebel against their place or have difficulty with dealing with that. Um... I almost want to compare it to like a paladin. Well, uh, no, like I think in, it's. Like... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like to always have my players tell me like who their, uh, you know, siblings are. Who I even made a generator so that we could determine it randomly if we wanted to. But Ooh, I like saying like, okay, how many siblings do you have? What rank sibling are you? You know, you know what? You know what about your parents? When, when characters don't have parents, that's usually a, a bad sign in a wuxia that's campaign. Not the I find. Flag. Yeah, it's it's useful to know where their parents are. So that eventually they can come into the mix in some way, um, provided you're not doing it with the aim of screwing over the players every time. Do you know what I mean? Like you could you could use it as a as a hammer to kind of whack the players into line and go on your adventure. But uh, but I think I think it's better when you have family members in the mix in a hierarchy like that. I mean, I, I imagine the reason that a hierarchy like that sustains so long over time is because it's useful to everybody that's in the hierarchy in some way. Like you, like you get some benefit, even if you're lower in the hierarchy, do you know what I mean? And so there should be, there should be benefits to existing within, you know, a family structure like that. Uh, yeah, it needs to be a balanced thing. You need to have, um, it, it almost seems like what you want to have is a strong cast of NPCs that are not only supportive of the characters, but can sometimes uh, it sort of burden them. Yeah. With things, so you you have a a good balance there that that you have a there as a game element, a family is an amazing tool because it gives you a like a support network and it also gives you a plot delivery mechanism. Oh, I heard this rumor that the the Wudang Temple is unguarded. Bam! You just delivered some plot to your players. They can go and investigate that if they want to. And as a matter of fact. They might have to, because Grandfather has a rivalry against them. And damn it, you're the only one who's capable of seeing that to its end. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying it always has to be a factor. Like, obviously, there are wuxia heroes. Like, a lot of wuxia heroes are very independent, and they don't necessarily... You don't necessarily see their family or, or know about them. Um, but but a lot of them, you do. And, and, and you know, uh, the whole sort of, you know, respect for the parents is very, you know, significant part of the, of the setting. There's sort of this Confucius underlying to it, so... Yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, you know it's it's helpful, uh, 
and uh and and i think again i think again it's obviously a much later period so you have to you know keep that in mind but it's still just kind of a, a good example you know i i would say between that and between um temple of the red lotus you get some good ideas that you might be able to pour into a game just in terms of dealing with family dynamics in a setting like this um and so so yeah but but also i think uh with my young auntie there there are the traps um oh yeah and the traps were something that you could easily bring because trap dungeons are very common like you know you're walking down a hallway you do trap but this was kind of neat because this is sort of a trap where you don't necessarily expect to see a trap unless you know that one's there like you're just going to somebody's house you don't necessarily expect there to be a trap in the garden on the way in or in the trees do you know what i mean um and so i i will oftentimes have have the shrubs around locations be trapped with poisonous darts and things you know that's that's a favorite little trick of mine you're a mean GM, aren't no, you? No, I'm not a mean GM, but like, here's the thing: like, when players go into a dungeon, they know that there might be traps there. They like that's when they pull out the ten foot pole. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you, and you can't uh, be, you know, unless you're like sort of pushing some kind of artificial uh, restraint on them. You really can't blame PCs for when a trap, when it when it becomes clear the traps are present, for them to start taking extreme measures to avoid traps. Now you could, that's you know. The, point of traps in a lot of ways yeah. is to slow them down so they're in the dungeon longer yeah now th- now there could be a time pressure that sort of forces them to more carelessly go through a dungeon but i well, mean you know I, monsters <laughs> but but if you put traps where people aren't expecting them to be you know if it, it's 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 zest you know it's a little bit of a little <laughs> bit of flavor that uh that, that, that can add to your campaign um i'm not saying put them in like the pantry of the characters homes you know or or or, or like you know, they walk into an inn and they sit down and they get impaled with a spike trap. I'm just saying, you know, maybe they go to talk to like a shady guy and it turns out he's got traps in his lawn. You know, things like that. Or they, or they go to they go to investigate somebody or sneak into their home and, you know, the guy's got stuff to protect, so he's got traps in the perimeter. That sort of thing. Um, but but anyways, we are coming up on the uh, on the limit. I was only supposed to do this for half an hour because I have a doctor's appointment to go to. But, uh, I wasn't trying to make you talk more this time. I no, promise. No, but, uh, movies. but but we will go. And again, I, I do have to say, like my young auntie is. I, I I think Joel and I both had the same kind of sentiment walking into this movie. I I uh, when I when I first saw this film, I I had bought it on DVD, and I was reluctant to watch it because something about the cover it just looked like like I could tell like this was a movie people liked and I had heard about it, but. I I just the cover didn't like make me really want to watch it the movie. It looks like it's going to be boring. It yeah. really does. It looks like it's going to be some kind of like plodding dramatic thing. No, nope. yeah. totally the opposite of that. And I and I started it and like within moments I was just like I don't know what it is about this movie, but I am loving this experience. And it didn't come alive for me until after the rickshaw scene. Everything. Well, I can understand that. that. I can understand that. Because the rickshaw scene is the first real demonstration of martial arts in the movie, too. So that's like the, you know, I think they're. Oh no, there's the beginning too when La Carlog is doing the the form, but yeah. Wait, was that before the rickshaw scene? Was it? I think that was the start. Yeah, yeah, that was because that's oh, before that he goes the, to meet her. That was the transition between the rickshaw scene before we got uh, introduced to the uh, the son character. I, I don't remember could, now. I'm pretty sure that that happens right after her flashback before the rickshaw scene, or possibly oh, okay. even at the very beginning of the movie. 
Now I gotta watch it again, which I'm not complaining about. No, because yeah, the, uh, the beginning yeah. is the boat. They start out in the boat, and then she has a flashback, <laughs> and then I think they do the form, and then after the form, he goes to meet her at the docks, and then they have the rickshaw scene. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that. But uh, but yeah, there's a even that scene is pretty like it's just a guy practicing martial arts alone in in his but house. That is one of the best physical performance of a form I've ever seen in my life. Like the, the, there's a few that really stand up. One of my, another another favorite of mine, not not just because it's so captivating the way it's done, is in um, uh, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. He sort of it's, it's Jackie Chan movie, so it's not a, it's not a Shaw Brothers, but it starts out with a similar type of opening where they have him doing like a form to like some odd music, and and he's doing I think he's doing like Snake style, and it just looks really cool on screen, and it, and and so I I don't know th- those are very those are very fun to watch and when they're done well they're beautiful and and so you know i don't you know i don't know a lot about uh kung fu forms forms i've had to do forms in other styles and you know it's a it's 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 a it's it's a demonstration and it's like a an enactment of all of these important stances and techniques within a style and you you know there's usually a series of them that you have to do so like when i was doing taekwondo there was like a you know, every every belt level had its own forms that you had to had to learn, and uh, mm. and and you know, but but it but I, I really I, I when they're done well, I love watching them. And, oh yeah, I, I studied Tai Chi Chuan, and like it's the same thing where it's just one continual moving form, and there there are a surprising amount of rules to them. Like uh, you you can't speed up or slow down. Uh, the the way you hold your body and when you breathe and where your weight is on your feet is all extremely important. I'm sure you had, uh, I mean, if you're doing Taekwondo, I'm, I'm sure that you had like similar rules to the way you could do a form and well, the way you had to move your body and things like that. It's, it, it's a side discussion, but the interesting thing about Taekwondo is how old-fashioned the forms were and how not old-fashioned a lot of the other stuff was that we did. But the forms yeah. were very low, low stance. So they... They were yeah. they were hard to do, but they didn't. Something about the form he was doing in this movie—that's the kind of form. Like when I was doing Taekwondo forms, I would be envious when I would see a form like the one he's doing, because there was a lot a lot of grace. And the Taekwondo form, there's a lot of grace to them, but they're kind of more focused on power and and mm-hmm. low stances. Um, but but I think that the uh, uh, it's interesting the Tai Chi thing because. I want to. Do you, do you happen to know how many forms there were in the style that you were learning? Or uh, I was doing the truncated one where there were sixty forms. There's actually supposed to be hundred and twenty, which is a lot of them are just the same thing over again. Like okay. I repeated. Um, what was the one? There's they have, some of them have really poetic names. Some of them have really specific names. Like there's this one where you kind of hook your right arm back, mm-hmm. and even in the forms that I did, you would repeat that like seven times through the sixties. Okay. They weren't all unique moves. Well, well, I mean, if if I ever did martial arts again, that would probably be the only one I'd be capable of doing, just because I'm just too frail now to do any to do anything uh, that require. Not that not that Tai Chi is for frail people, just that it's you know it's 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 a don't, more. It's not a Tai Chi master. They'll kick your ass. Yeah, no, I, I I know I'm aware, but but you know what I'm talking about. Like the I, I feel yeah, like I could it, handle it, a Tai Chi form. Um, I mean, Bruce Lee himself, his father did Tai Chi Chuan, and he he saw it as uh, and he uh, classically called it. A kung fu for old men because he wanted doing dragon style. Okay, uh, there's so. you know you know who teaches uh, tai chi here is Donnie Yen's mother. Like literally, I could drive into Boston and and I could take 
Tai Chi with Donnie Yen's. I don't know if she actually teaches the classes, but her school is there, and and she's apparently like an amazing uh, Tai Chi master. Um, so you know, again, the drive to Boston here is excruciating, but uh, <laughs> but I. But but there are but what I'm saying is it's it's a it's a thing that's available locally that uh, you know I've thought about um, uh, and 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 so I'm I'm very curious about the forms but I think when you say forms people might not understand like a like a one form you said how many forms did you say a hundred and something one hundred and twenty yeah one hundred and twenty so a form in most styles is a fairly extended sequence of movements that you have to ma- memorize yes so it's not just like oh I'm moving my arm to the left and the right and that's what no 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 it's like a dance number in martial arts almost like a little yeah, bit more regimented every part but of your body uh, you shift your weight change your orientation like they're very specific and complicated yeah and so to have to memorize one hundred and twenty is an I think when I was doing taekwondo I, I don't know I, I I don't think we did more than 20, that's for sure. You know, it was, it, was a, it was a fairly small number. But but it felt like memorizing the Bible. Do you know what I mean? Because um, yeah, your whole it, body it, uh, has to memorize it. Um, well, it. The point of the form, and this will wind up happening as you as you learn them, and I'm sure you went through this too, is that you you do eventually internalize it so that you're not thinking about it and you're just doing going through the movements kind of subconsciously. And yeah. that's the moment when you're kind of reaching the real mastery of the form the underlying maneuver and like how you're supposed to act instinctually in fighting. So that kind of pays dividends when you're actually sparring. Well, and, 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 and with, with Tai Chi and I think with most, cause, cause I have gone to like, like I did do Sanshu for a while and I had, I didn't really master any of the forms they taught there, but I had to try to learn them. And, and I, and I, and I went to a couple of Kung Fu schools when I was in between styles at one point. And the thing that I always noticed about the forms in Chinese styles is how subtle they are. Like in Taekwondo, oh. the form is very obvious. Do you know what I mean? Like, like with a few exceptions, there were a couple of forms that did a, did some subtle things. But I found that most of the forms in that style, and it seems like a lot of the for, a lot of the kata and karate are fairly mm-hmm. obvious in nature. But kung fu, whenever somebody would try to teach me kung fu, there'd be parts of my body that needed to be in a position that I wouldn't normally think about in another martial arts style. Do you know what I mean? Like the, oh. uh, it, it just felt like a much more. Um, I don't know. There was like a, there was more complexity to the posturing, is how I would put it. Um, the, there is, and beyond that, like especially in Tai Chi, I don't know. I can't speak for every form, but in Tai Chi, it's an internal style, so it's kind of a wed to a bunch of Taoist Chi theory. And in that, you can't ever like sharply bend any joint. So every one of the joints on your body at all times had to be not straight and rigid, and not sharply bent. So there's this kind of convex smoothness to it. At all points in every movement through 120 movements. Okay. Well, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of subtlety and specificity to it. I, in fact, I gotta go soon, but I do have, I have, I have a pretty good story about forms, and I probably should relate here. Uh, okay, yeah, let's do that. So, let's so as you know, like when you do belt testings and styles, like a lot of times they'll have you have to do the form, you'll have to mm-hmm. sometimes spar, you'll have to do um, like like one steps, and you'll have to do like. Um, in Taekwondo, there were a series of steps that led like a hundred moves that you have to do that are just like all the moves in Taekwondo or something. Um, mm-hmm. And and I remember I went out drinking the night before one of my belt tests because I was I, I was I always did so well up to that point that I was super confident and I I I still was a little bit hungover when I when the belt testing was on the next day and I couldn't remember my form 
Like I, like I would do, I would do, and it was a form that I should have known. It wasn't like, it wasn't even like the form for that belt. It was the form for, that I was supposed to already have, like that I, that I had mastered that was preceded the form for that belt. Do you know what I mean? And, oh, and I couldn't do it. And, uh, eventually I got it, but it took me like, like, like basically it was like a three strikes and you, you're like, if you screw up three times during the belt test, you don't get the belt. And I screwed up, I think twice. And I had like one more mistake and I, I, I managed to, I got by in the skin of my teeth and I got rebuked by the master too. I was, uh, I, I, I was, I was, I was told, uh, very clearly that I, that I had not done things correctly. Um, so that's a really good story. Yeah. yeah it was, it was, I had, I had, a, I, had a, I had like a date the night before basically. And, uh, and I and I, I indulged too heavily at a place called Rockefellers in Salem. <laughs> so, but yeah. So so, anyways, I have to go to a doctor's appointment. So we're gonna head out. I know we got sidetracked on all this form stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. I was really enjoying the discussion about forms. And it's funny. I always forget that you did Tai Chi because you're so like humble about this. Like you never bring it up. And so it's like. Like I'll be talking, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I actually know about Tai Chi." Right? Like, so it, it's uh, I, 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 I appreciate you bringing that information into the into the podcast. Um. So so, anyways, uh, I don't know what we're gonna be doing next. I think we were talking about maybe possibly doing a Chinese ghost story if we can swing that, getting every because everybody would need a copy of the movie for that to work, and it's not one that's easily available on uh, streaming services. Uh, I've got a little money tucked away uh, in my Amazon account specifically in case I need to grab something for this podcast. I'm so enjoying it. I really am. Um, another thing that we were talking about was talking to uh, to David Ramirez. Like He expressed a deep interest in jumping on here with us. Well, and, uh, like, Adam was interested in jumping on too, so I was thinking we might get the whole, you know, him oh and Adam. Yeah. Uh, well, particularly, I was thinking for a Chinese ghost story that might be good because when we did when we did a Chinese ghost story in Wushu Weekend, he wasn't able to watch it because uh, he mm. couldn't get access to it, and oh. and so uh, if that can be remedied, then he'd get an opportunity to to let us know what he thought of the film, which would be interesting because normally I'm not too I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care if so, if somebody can't make it, and they can't see the movie. I, I never revisit the issue, but I really wanted to know Adam's opinion about a Chinese ghost <laughs> story, and and so because he, he he has an interesting perspective on movies and stuff, and mm. and it was a film that I really wanted his opinion on. Um, so I think if we can get him in, and I and I'm really curious about your reaction to it too, because it's a again, it's it's not, it's not like a lot of the other movies that we've watched, and so I, I'd be curious how you feel about that film. Um, you but, like things. <laughs> well, I, I I don't want to I don't want to prejudice you against the movie by planting no, thoughts. I want to I want to go into it like really raw. So I but I like unusual stuff just in general. Like I'm the kind of guy that watches David Lynch. So I, okay, I, I like stuff that that challenges me and isn't something that I'm familiar with. And well, that's pretty much why I'm doing this podcast for ten. <laughs> yeah, this will have some challenging moments for sure. Um, it's a classic movie though. It's a very classic film, and it stars Joey Wong. And um, Wu Ma and Leslie Chung, who we saw in *Bride with White Hair*. In fact, he plays a very similar type of kid. Well, no, no, no. He does. He doesn't play. He plays a scholar in this one, but he's in a, It's it's a romantic type of role, just like *Bride with White Hair* was. Um, so, so yeah. So, I'm I'm rambling. We're gonna go, <laughs> and I'm gonna go to my appointment, and we will 
we will be back on hopefully within the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be back on with Adam with a uh, with another uh, discussion of I Claudius, and then we're going to be doing the new Doctor Who series when that airs on Sunday. Um, and so you know we'll you know I, uh, it's a new showrunner, new Doctor, so it should be interesting discussion. And uh, and on Wusha weekend, we're going to be doing Black Magic, uh, which I'm really looking forward to black magic and 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 joel just you know black magic is available streaming on prime so if you want to watch it you can feel free um it's not a wuxia movie it's a it's a shaw brothers sort of 70s black magic film which is uh very difficult to describe in the amount of time i have here but 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 they're a lot of fun they're perfect perfectly suited for halloween and and all right so until next episode we'll talk to you later